Hello, and welcome to Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. I'm Jason, I'm your host. Every week I promise you at least one of the three W's. Usually it's whiskey because that is the easiest to get a hold of, and I tend to drink it while I'm doing the show, hence the name. Often our guest is a witch, I'm also a witch. How witchy I am, well, probably depends on your perspective, I guess. So I can't always promise that, and the wit... Eh, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Especially once a lot of whiskey has been had, it gets increasingly difficult to be witty. It's tough, even on my best days. You know, so I promise you at least one of the three W's every week. But today, you're in for a treat because I have a witch who is witty, but I don't think she's drinking any whiskey right now, but I will make up for that. For her, because that's just the kind of team player that I am. I probably should have sent her some Lambrusco, is what I should have done. <laughs> My guest today is the incredible Laura Tempest-Zakroff. Hi, Tempest. Hello! Yeah, I, it would do whiskey, but it is. It's just a little shy of, you know, early. <laughs> She's on the East Coast. It is even earlier here on the West Coast. But it is past noon, so, you know, everything's on the table. And I don't have much to do right now anyways. So why That's not? True. What is what is time? Um, and I think normally it would be fine. But I do have to teach a tarot class tonight, so. <laughs> oh. That I did not have to. I don't have to worry about that, so. I'm in, I'm in good shape there. There's no teaching today. There's no book writing today, which is great. It's your day off, except for this. Yeah, except for this. Well, I just turned in the last book. So you just turned in a book. Yes. Yes. This is going to probably be out in June of 2021. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for, yeah, because I missed the um, first deadline. Uh, you know, rewriting it. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. So could you share what this next book is about? With everyone out there? Uh, it's about embodied magic. Uh, basically, a sort of a symbolic anatomy of the witch. of um, So connecting your body to magic, uh, to seeing how it's definitely integral to your practice, that it's not just um, some accessory, but it is your primary tool. And that, you know, even though we wrote books on the witch's tools, <laughs> <laughs> and we like tools, I, I really want to emphasize to folks that you need to start with yourself, um, that your your mind, your body, your spirit um, is, is incredible. It's the most powerful thing in your possession. So kind of tapping into that versus bestowing your energy into, say, just, just the other tools or believing that it's the stuff, right? And again, we love the stuff, but... Uh, to, to have that starting base. And it's sort of like this, the next book after We the Liminal. So it's kind of building on those concepts too. I mean, I love my tools. I've written two and a half tool books. For those of you who are unaware, Tempest and I co-authored a book two years ago, two years ago, three years ago. Um, I think it came out in November 2018. Yeah, so we worked on it three years ago then. Damn. Yeah, where does uh, the time go? What is, again, what is time? What is time? 
Uh, in this in this current environment, every day feels like Saturday, which also feels like Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I have one of my uh, wonderful friends online has a habit of saying it's Wednesday, regardless of what day of the week it actually is, but usually not Wednesday, uh, which is very disconcerting and, and being a bit of a, a jerk about it. But also that's rather endearing. It's kind of a reminder that we just, you know, again, what is time? What are days? What are hours? What are cats? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a shame that I don't do video with this show as Tempest <laughs> is currently brushing her cat, which is a first on the show. You know. <laughs> well, uh, he he just started. I know he picked up the meows in the beginning because he decided right through your intro to be like, "Hi, I'm a cat. I would like to meow now." Um, so now I have um, 20 pounds of Simon in my lap, um, and he's shedding because it's starting to turn warmer here finally in New England. So yeah, now I I was wearing clean clothes. <laughs> Who's gonna see them though, right? Uh, that's true. Just, just Nathan and the other cats. Yeah. I mean. And my students tonight. <laughs> we're on Witches, Whiskey, and Whiskers. Yes. Boom. So I know that you've been keeping busy during quarantine, the shelter-in-place orders. You've been doing a ton of online workshops. Yes. Yeah. How How is that different than the normal in-person sort of thing that you do? It's it's really kind of fascinating because um, the thing that you definitely miss not being in person is having everyone's faces. But, uh, you know, with Zoom, you can see most people if they have video. So you do see like, this little row of, you know, the Hollywood squares of uh, folks coming through. Uh, but the other thing is you, you do have a mute button. So <laughs> it doesn't always happen in real person workshops, right? No, it does Where not. You, you just get that one person who's like, hey, can I ask a question that has nothing to do with what you're talking about right now to interrupt things? That doesn't happen in Zoom. So that's kind of nice. You and I have both done a lot of festivals over the years. What was the most obnoxious a question or intrusion you've had in the middle of a workshop or a ritual? Wow. I feel like I've blocked. I've blocked. So the, I get the, the worst ones tend to be right afterwards where I'm like um, told that, um, you know, supporting the, the patriarchy or white supremacy because I'm telling people that that shit's bad. <laughs> I'm like, mm, okay. But you're supporting uh, it because you're saying that it's I, bad? Because I'm pointing it out. Oh. <laughs> like, okay. Well, I kind of feel like the opposite. Usually by um, older white men telling me that. So um, that's uh, special. Though, I think my favorite uh, workshop scenario actually didn't really quite happen at a pagan event. It happened at a steampunk event where they um, kept switching rooms on where my my dance workshop was going to be. And they um, put us in a room that they had just been cutting metal. <laughs> 
and all sorts of like crafty stuff. So the floor is coated and things. And, you know, in most of my workshops, I teach barefoot. So um, that was a different kind of disruption of we're, we're going to keep moving your workshop because we don't think your workshops is important. But we're also going to just, you know, make it a hazard for you as well. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, I um, got a bit cranky about things after that. I'm like, you know what? I, I, I am generally, I try to be as understanding, especially as an event producer myself, you know, that, that stuff happens and you've got to, you know, sometimes you have to move things at the last moment. Uh, but like, you know, blatant disregard for people's safety. I'm going to be a diva about that shit. I think that's reasonable. And I've been to one of your workshops at a steampunk event. You had like a completely full house. I mean, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't even think it was a steampunk event. The room was so full. I just assumed it was a witch con or something. Well, that was the year um, where there, remember, remember, I think you were there at my table where somebody came up and was like, are you the witch lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've reached a new thing. I'm the witch lady. Yeah, that was at the old Pantheacon Doubletree. And yes. the steampunk thing is not nearly as big as Pantheacon. So it feels like the hotel is completely empty as you walk through it. It's very different feeling. Yeah, definitely less condensed, uh, and you know, and then people are dressed up, so you still get a bit of that factor. But yeah, that room to breathe, and that you can get down the hallway in like five ten minutes instead of a half an hour later. <laughs> I don't think people realize when you are a presenter and an author and all that how challenging it is to get from point A to point B because. You have to say hello to 15 or 20 people or more along mm -hmm. the way. And if you don't, they're going to call you a snob and it's going to be online. It's going to be like some huge scandal. So you have to do it. There's just no way around it. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it is. It's a different experience, though. What I did like about that hotel is there was the over the overland bridge, uh, which is basically taking the sky... <laughs> roof route which was awesome because uh, having being an introvert and having the uh, the moment of like let me just be outside and, and not run into 50 people I'll run into five that's that's good you know but I don't make everyone sound like I don't enjoy talking to folks because I I do I mean to talk about witchcraft with people like, it's kind of the best thing that you're you know let's Let's talk about practice. Let's talk about ritual, the experiences with deities. Um, but yeah, that kind of like, but I also want to say hello to 50 people. And then the other 10 who are like, you didn't say hello to me because you were, you know, too big and too busy. You are pretty. Really, I don't have whiskey in here. This is just. Yeah. You are pretty famous, though. You know, in a, in a way, in a way that other witchcraft people are not. So I tell this story a lot because it always amuses me greatly. This is the first time Tempest and I had ever really met. It was in the summer of 2016 or 2015. I think it was 15 or 14. Yeah. Was the, it was the first Many Gods West. It was the first Many Gods West. And it was that's in was in Washington State when they were doing it in the city of Olympia, and usually it's pretty cool there, not mm -hmm. cool as people, but I mean cool as temperature wise, even in August. However, that particular time it was a hundred degrees, 
And yes. Nathaniel Johnstone, which is Tempest's husband, his band was playing at a bar as the evening's entertainment. So we were all there. And if it was 100 degrees outside, it was 120 degrees inside. And I think for Nathaniel, it was like 140 degrees where they were playing. But Tempest sits down next to Ari and I, Ari, my wife, and Ari looks at me and she whispers, Oh my God, that's Tempest. Because before all of this public witchcraft stuff, you were and are a pretty famous belly dancer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because it's the interlude of being really out in, in paganism and witchcraft, particularly on the East Coast, spending a little time in California um, doing that and then switching totally to just focusing on dance for X amount of years. So kind of fun. <laughs> but I mean, you literally toured the world as a belly dancer. I mean, that's mm-hmm. about as, it's about as famous as a belly dancer can get. I think. I don't know. I followed it long enough with Ari. I feel like I sort of know what I'm talking about. Well, it's, it is, it's, it's its own world into itself. Like, like within paganism, witchcraft, magical practitioners, right? Like we, we have our bubbles and our worlds, and uh, so we know who's well-known in our area. And then, you know, you go into the next little subculture group and like within belly dance, there's a certain amount. Um, I, I think there's, there aren't too many folks who would like, you know, be able to point you out in the street. It's not like, you know, um, a famous, super famous actor or something like that. But yeah, yeah. still, I mean, it's more famous than most of us. Uh, so I think that the witchcraft world is pretty nice in some ways, especially how authors engage with one another. I never really feel like we're in competition with each other, that for the most part, we all kind of get along and are supportive versus is, is that also true in the belly dance world or is it more kind of cutthroat? Oh, I've, uh, I, I would agree that within in, within the witchy realm, we we do we tend to uh, be supportive. Uh, I have st- stepped out of being super involved in belly dance for since about 2016, which is the last year of Waking Persephone. Uh, just because there there was. Um, you know, since 2008 affected the economy and shifted things, like belly dance never really recovered. And you have the option at that point of, hey, let's collaborate and let's build and let's do what we can to fix this. Or we can be total assholes to each other. And most people went for plan B, uh, where I was trying to support plan A. And I was like kind of writing exhaustively about this for, for years of like, how do you build this up? And I think... Um, you know, and there are there are truly wonderful dance teachers, instructors, and it's actually the folks who've been there the longest, like some of my dance teachers, like Artemis, um, Dahlia Corella, you know, folks who have been teaching since the 60s and 70s and, and onward and 80s, etc. I forget what, what decade are we in now? <laughs> what is time? Um, and so those folks like understand collaboration versus competition. But we also have an art form where people confuse the beauty of the art form, right? That this is a belly dance is largely an umbrella name for many cultural folkloric dances and modern 
um, interpretations on those, those cultures and their dance and you know, fusion. And so this is a thing about your ego. And this is a thing about being praised for your body, uh, which is totally a bad recipe for <laughs> people to, you know, you know, see each other, not as competition, right? Because they're all about comparison. It's like, oh, well, who has the most expensive costume and who's sleeping with this people or, you know, like whatever is going on instead of being like, oh, this is a beautiful art form. Let's share it with the world. Let's educate people. Let's see that it's that while we use our bodies for this, um, it is not about, you know, fluffing your ego. <laughs> Which is why I love teaching witches and magical practitioners how to move and use their bodies in that type of way because it's not about ego. It's not connected to that. It's about accepting all types of bodies, all types of abilities. doesn't matter what age, what gender, what non-gender you are, what color you are, any of that stuff. It's like you have a human body. Let's just start there, and that's wonderful. So, rant. It's okay. So <laughs> it's great for me because it means less work. <laughs> When I had Misha Magdalene on last week, I just let Misha go, you know. 20 minutes later, I came back and, you know, they were almost done. It was great. <laughs> Gwen? The, the Gemini, my Gemini sibling over there. Yeah, Gwen Raven, it was even worse, you know, just ask a question. Gwen would slowly slip into a full-on English accent. That's when I knew it was time to go refill my drink or whatever else water the plants in the backyard, that sort of thing. R rants are great. So I really want to talk to you about this, which no one else can see, but you can see it. This is your Liminal Spirits Oracle deck, which just came out a month ago, maybe less than a month ago. Uh, official release date was June 8th. So as we record this, nine days I'm not good at math. Eight days, something like that. You know, nine oh, yeah. days. Yeah, but it's time. Yeah, but it's time. Every day is the same. Uh, I know how long you worked on this because I think I was finishing a book while you were still working on this. And usually, it always feels like everything we do is pretty much <laughs> comes out at the same time. Yeah, yeah, but this is a much bigger undertaking. Um, how many cards are in the deck? There are 42. Which means 42 individual different pieces of art. Everything's unique. Plus the 42 entries for the book. <laughs> this, uh, Ari and I got this deck. And the mailman came by. And we were outside on the porch, which was great. Because it meant I did not have to even wait four minutes <laughs> to get into it. And I love it, and it's beautiful, and as soon as I got it, I asked you about buying something from it, which was already gone, which, of course, <laughs> broke my heart. Uh, it's okay. We have, we have a pretty good collection of, of Tempest in the house. You do have probably one of the most solid collections of, of original, large original art. Well, we love it. It's uh, We'll get into that in a little bit, too, because there's some couple of things I want to talk to you about. But uh, tell me how the idea for the deck came about, uh, and this is going to be a long answer because there's a lot that I want to try to unpack in it. You know, what okay. what you chose to put on the deck, like the images that you chose, how did that come about? And then how long from start to finish did it take you to to get this all done? Okay. 
So starting uh, what inspired the deck. So um, I think the bane of every artist in the pagan community's existence is someone saying, hey, do you ever think about doing a tarot and oracle deck? Which, you know, I think pretty much every artist has. It's just, it is a huge undertaking. You know, with a tarot, it's 78 cards. With an oracle, it's whatever amount of cards. And, um, you know, and especially if you're not connected to a publishing house or anything else like that, it's, you know, it's only been in recent years with Kickstarters that, you know, like, oh, well, maybe I can actually make this a deck that it's worth all this time and energy. Uh, so, but, so I've been floating a lot of ideas for, for years going, okay, what do I want to spend that amount of time on? And the, the summer before I started on this, I was doing some little original paintings um, based on um, a growing series of um, exploring spirits, um, different kinds of spirits outside of like the human realm. So I had done some plant spirits. I think the first one was a mushroom spirit, foxglove, ear spirit. Oh, and a COVID um, raven. So I did these little paintings and they actually popped out in like two or three days or for Dragon Con that year. And like, these were fun. Like, this is great. And uh, shortly after I finished those, like, this would be a really great concept for an Oracle deck so that we could explore these different kinds of spirits, um, you know, to step out of things that are in the human realm and look at plants, look at trees and, uh, places spirits of place and all those concepts so that's how the deck sort of started because i hit up alicia and i was like hey i have an idea for oracle deck <laughs> and um i think i was right i think i might have been writing a book at the time or finishing up something and she's like really <laughs> <laughs> which is what we both do right like we're not even finished the book we're on and we'll send her like i have an idea for another book like just finish the book you're on um she probably has a, has a template in her, her mailbox to just send that to us. Um, but I, I put it out there and uh, they said yes. And so that was great. Like, okay, so Oracle Deck's going to happen. And I also, I specifically went more for the Oracle Deck because I knew in 2019 I'd be moving cross country. So I didn't want to focus on a tarot, which to me is requiring... Uh, a whole lot more focus, not just 78 cards, but because I love tarot that I would want to tap into the more traditional system um, and be, you know, just at least connect to it fully enough. So it's not just like, you know, those tarot decks were like, oh, I'm just going to throw any random image on here. And uh, so that started and then kind of said the, the process of it. Uh, so I had a bunch of different ideas, and they kind of morphed a few different times, which is why I, I love working with the editors that we work with, because I can be like, I'm going to tweak this. <laughs> I know I wrote this, but I'm also now going to shift the amount of cards and how the system is. And I, I really like the idea of having groups for people to understand, especially when you're building an oracle. It's like, I get to set all the rules. So 42 is a good number. You know, it's the answer to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought okay well let me pick what kind of systems from that and so we had the spirits of place uh, we have trees we have herbs we have um, things with wings and the fur fauna and uh, things that slither and scale and swim 
We have artifacts, which are the materials that things are made out of, like clay and fiber and such. Uh, there's rites, which is from We the Liminal, which is the path-building exercise, and then two additional cards for 42. And I thought that I would just do a couple paintings a week. You know, it's like, this is due, it was due in April, I think, of uh, 2019. So, like, I'll just do a couple paintings a week. And I prepped, you know, 50 tiles just to have extra cards laid out and all little wood title tiles of um, birch. And uh, and then discovered as, like, I sat down again to start with that, like, that mushroom painting that wasn't coming through. It was just being stuck, uh, which is kind of, you know, because that thing, like, I just popped out those six other paintings in no time flat and now I'm like going oh no people are going to actually look at this deck and use it you know there's a lot more pressure suddenly to make the art and uh, in the time that I was going to be doing like a couple paintings a week I ended up producing like nine other large scale paintings (laughs) (laughs) that had nothing to do with this deck Uh, so when I procrastinate I make other things (laughs) so um, that's yeah, a lot of art got done. And, and then when I finally settled in, I think it was between, it was after Pantheacon that year, but I think before Paganicon, not entirely sure. Started starting around there. Um, but for two weeks solid, that's all I did was do these paintings. Like really all I did, like Nathan would come in and like, make sure I had food and tea and we'd go <laughs> to bed. <laughs> Time to go to bed. Because uh, I was doing anywhere between five to seven of them a day or working on them progressively. So it was a very trance-like state. And I had marked out which ones, like for each group, you know, if you have eight groups, there's five in each group. That means that obviously there are many, many kinds of spirits out there, like just for trees. It's like there's so many kinds of trees. How do you pick just five? Well, I had a working list of more. I planned out the ones, and as I was working, sometimes I wouldn't connect with that spirit, and so I'd go back and be like, okay, what else on my list is standing out, and why is it standing out? So all of those got done by the end of March, um, and also not only did I have that deadline to get the artwork in, but I also had the deadline of I was going to show all of the originals in an art show, <laughs> a solo exhibition in Seattle. So they had to be hung by April 4th. <laughs> Well, I remember I was in Seattle in January of last mm-hmm. year and how you kind of, I think even then you kind of felt like you were up against the deadline pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. So how does an Oracle deck differ from a tarot deck in usage? In usage, well, in, you do have the system of the tarot, right? So you have those 78 cards, the major and minor arcana. Uh, which are major arcanas are you the big events, those big things that are going on. Then the minor arcana help us kind of pick the details out and figure out like the who, what, where, when, why kind of um, parts of it. Where an oracle deck is any sort of oracular system. And with this particular deck, the liminal spirits, it is about connecting with spirits. It is particularly, you know, connecting with the spirits around you. And these cards are a gateway to that so each of the cards has um, a little description about what it represents and then i put in at least three messages um, that i got as i was working on the art and then kind of meditating on the art afterwards to write the little book Uh, but 
it was really important for me that I didn't preload different meanings onto like when the face of the card. So when you get an owl, it just says owl. It doesn't say blessings or knowledge or, you know, some, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any special words for that. So, you know, predetermined meaning. Um, because I, I really feel like wise magical practitioners, people who are really trying to work their path and get deeper into it, um, that you need to look at not just the surface of the card, but what is the card? How does the card make you feel? What are the messages that are involved in it? Um, to go beyond just what is the standard meaning so that when you look at the picture of the owl, you know, in that moment, do you feel calm? Do you feel peace? Do you feel worry? You know, what is it trying to tell you? But you could refer to the book as well. Um, and with that kind of more generic card, you could use it to connect with a specific spirit past that. So like with a spirit of the ocean, it can be a body of water. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean, etc. It's more about what is the motion of water itself in a body of water. Um, so for that, you can you can still use them in a form of divination, but it's not going to be your traditional tarot spread. You might have past, present, future. You might pull one a card, which is, I think, my favorite way of working with an oracle is to pull the one card um, to see where that's guiding you. And uh, you can use it for meditation. You can use it for spellcraft. And, uh, you know, there, there are so many things, mm -hmm. especially with this deck. It sort of has that super gloss, so you could take it outside and kind of work with it if you're out in the woods. And um, they probably still do really well as long as you don't go for a swim with them. Yeah, these you. are really strong cards by Llewellyn standards. Like, mm -hmm. I've been critical of their tarot cards in the last couple of years because they have felt kind of flimsy. But there's like a good feel to these. You can't... Yeah. I, had to turn my we we're like looking at each other mostly but i turned my camera off because it helps with my wi-fi signal but you can hear me waving the cards <laughs> <laughs> but they are they're yes. they're much better card stock than what they've been using yeah and the thing is like you know the some of those really lovely um boutique oracle decks that are out there they're really thick cardstock you know they've got gilded edges which is like aesthetically really beautiful and pleasing and you kind of want to drool over but gilding is going to wear off and thick cards are really hard to shuffle like i i don't have really big hands i don't you know like 42 cards that have that are like four to five times the thickness they're like shuffling mat board uh they're going to get damaged very quickly because that's just going to happen. It's going to jump out. It's too heavy. It's going to hit the floor. It's going to get creased. Where with these, they're just a little, little bit more flexible. And you know, think about it, like, well, they just need to be really a good combination of good paper stock and a good gloss to protect the art, too. And uh, so, yeah, I was pretty happy. I didn't, I didn't get um, that sort of input in there. I was kind of hoping I, I would, but with the pandemic and everything going on, um, everything was a little more disconnected when it came to the proofing process. But I, the art team was so on it, though, like especially with the design and making sure, like, did I like the placement of the words? And should we, you know, take this down 10% opacity? And do we put a shadow behind this? You know, so they really let me be kind of a pain in the ass to say, could you just nudge that over half an inch up and <laughs> <laughs> a 
quarter inch over. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to have to be like that pain in the ass, but it was like, oh, and they agreed. They're like, oh, yeah, that's good, you know, because, you know, if you're not in-house doing it, it makes it, it makes it hard to do something visual like that. You've written five books for Llewellyn now, I think. Four have uh, been published. One is yet to come. But you just turned yeah, it in. Yeah, technically the, the Oracle has its own little book. It has its own so. book. So what's the biggest difference between writing a book for Llewellyn and doing an art project like this with Llewellyn? Is it much, is it, I assume it's much more hands-on on your end, like you're in much more communication with them regarding the art? I, hmm. I like, like going back a year now, <laughs> like what was going on. I know. It's... I, I had the added, added benefit of last Paganicon. Um, since, you know, every time we go to, to Minneapolis, um, I'll, I'll stop by the mothership. And I got to talk with Lynn, the art director, and we really sat down and um, got some ideas going about the art, which I think saved a lot of time. And I kind of think like if we had that with our books sometimes too, like just just having a half an hour to, to talk about that would make all the projects easier. Um, but you know, this is the thing: we live in different parts of the world, so it makes it harder. Uh, but with this one, I think it was it was in somewhat a bit easier than writing the book because you know you're just you're looking at the art and the placement of things on there. The book is much smaller. I forget how many, um, you know, if it's 20,000 words or whatever it is. So it's a little booklet, um, you know, and so you, you're just making sure it matches up with the cards and it makes sense. Um, so it's, it's just kind of a little bit of a different beast. Christopher Hughes once told me, he goes, Jason, the real money is in doing tarot decks and doing Oracle decks. I mean, you probably haven't seen that yet, but I know that your first initial batch of sales was pretty strong because you shipped over 100 copies. Uh, yeah, I think it ended up, by the end, we were at 200. Uh, that is the most amount of pre-orders I've ever had for anything. Um, I think I would say for for, for anything. Um, you know, books are usually, like, you get to, you know... 30 to 50 copies, you know, and there are people, especially with that, they'll want a digital format instead. So you never even see, you know, any of that unless they're like, you know, hardcore. I want your signature on this too. So that books tales tend to be like slower and progressive over time. Like when you teach your workshop, you know, and people go do this, but this, you know, people, um, it's not a matter of, are they going to enjoy reading the book? They want to play with the deck. And so there's the art collection part of it. Um, there's connecting with the imagery and especially with this one, you know, again, the bonus of an Oracle is that you don't need to know a row. You don't need to learn, um, you know, like the Lenormand's, um, system or any, you know, a rune card system. Like you, this is, I made this organic and easy enough that anybody could pick it up and dive into it. So, uh, we'll, we'll see though. I, you know, I, I understand though that we're probably looking at doing, um, a second run already by the end of this year. Fantastic. So, <laughs> did it take yeah. you by surprise when you had two hundred advance orders for the deck? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I opened up the pre-orders once I got the first proof. You know, I don't like doing pre-orders um, too far in advance because there are always some people who don't read that it's a pre-order, and then you get someone who sends you a bitchy email at where's my book, where's my whatever, but you get your PayPal receipt. It says on the web page. Right. <laughs> you know, and I... It's just the anxiety of dealing with that, which you know drives me nuts that people don't read. So I, I try to like keep it to a month beforehand. And there was somewhere in there, like it, because of the delays with the pandemic, um, which is why it was supposed to be released in May. It was supposed to be May eighth, but back at the beginning of the year, Llewellyn's like, we anticipate that there is going to be a delay in the supply chain. Um, what's, I guess that's the, the perk of working for um, a new HR metaphysical publisher, right? They're like, hmm. They should have seen stars. it coming, right? Yeah, like they did. They're like, there's going to be a delay. So they pushed the date back. You know, back in January, they pushed the date back to June, um, around February, somewhere around there, because they didn't think it was going to be in on time. And, it, you know, it, it would have, in the end, even though the, the proofs and they got to press in time, it still had a bit of a shipping delay um, from the printers for the actual copies. So when I got those, I think when I got the, the, the sample and was showing it to people and then kind of emphasized the pre-orders, I don't know, whatever it was, there was just like this crazy amount of wave um, just as the the first pre-orders were hitting, or at least the, the decks were arriving, um, and they just kept coming for days. Just like, damn, this is this is amazing. This is awesome. Um, and especially considering that you know I had so many festivals lined up for this year that I was supposed to be at and be promoting this, and to just have it organically bloom, you know, and be supported um, without being on the road, which you know none of us can be. So. And I don't think people realize how helpful it is if you buy things directly from an author because we mm. profit just a little bit more from that. And especially with Tempest is also an artist. It's like to, to go over everything that Tempest does would be the hour show <laughs> in, in a way. But, you know, like when she's on the road, she's also selling art and other things. And not being on the road takes a big chunk out of your paycheck. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is really great that there were 200 pre-orders to help kind of make up some of that difference. So you're somebody like me who goes to a lot of festivals and a lot of events in a given year. What do you think is going to be the long term that happens out of this? I think there's going to be a bunch that don't make it. Um, well, to... I, there are a few ways of doing it. There might be... The, the ones that have been doing it for a while who are savvy and have been updating their processes and how they approach their festivals, I think are going to be able to continue to survive. Um, festivals that were already on their way out, right? Right. Um, in the last couple of years, because they were not upgrading, because they were not reaching out to... Um, the next generation, you know, for whatever reason that they were doing it, perhaps they weren't addressing their um, white supremacy or turf problems or, you know, whatever other things that they're just like hiding underneath the rug. Um, that That's mostly going to, I, you know, best wishes vanish, um, get buried. Um, but I think we might see 
development of new events that are even more inclusive, um, that are even better structured for everyone involved from the um, presenters to the participants to the volunteers, right? That people are being taken care of um, financially, um, reimbursed, uh, you know, acknowledged for the work that they put into things. So because there is a thing of like right now we're, we're becoming more in tune or <laughs> we're not we necessarily, but other people perhaps um, are starting to realize to recognize the benefit of being able to find, you know, to be together in person and to do this work. Um, so, you know, hopefully once we get to vaccine and um, other health you know, related things that it can be safe again to do this. I think we're going to see very interesting growth in events um, that people who hadn't been attending events for years might come out and become part of events again. So I have to say that from my own personal experience, I've really enjoyed some of the online events just because they're really more accessible to more people in a way. Price point wise, <laughs> you don't have to travel across the country. You don't have to swap mosquitoes if you're outdoors. There's a lot to be said for having an event online. Uh, you know, as an author, you miss the sales, that's for sure. You know, but sometimes it's not about me. And Ari reminds me of this all the time. Sometimes it's not about me. And I need to recognize that. Uh, talking about your art. Uh, so my next book, I don't ever like to talk about myself on the show because... I realize that some people who aren't good at podcasts, they talk about themselves and not the guest. But in the book, you know, I always thank people and you're always on my thank you list. And, and I wrote something like, in some ways, Tempest knows Pan and Kernonos much better and more intimately than I do. Uh, if you've ever looked at Tempest's art, especially the art of particular deities to some of us, it's just so fucking spot on that you get the feeling that they were whispering in your ear while you were creating like a pan portrait or a Kernonos. Is there truth to that? Do they whisper to you while you're doing the art? Um, sometimes they do more than whisper. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're drunkenly in the corner directing. <laughs> Who was drunkenly directing in the corner? Hmm. Who was drunkenly? Who? Yeah. Oh, I, I, mm. you had to be there. I have ideas. I have, I have guesses. <laughs> I, I, when I when I create art, uh, you know, there there's pretty much two ways when it comes to deities. How it works is that I personally get a flash or inspiration. Um, and have to, I feel compelled to create it. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a deity that I personally work with, right? That I consider um, devotional work to, but simply, you know, it's like they've arrived at my doorstep and they're knocking very loudly. Uh, and so that's usually like a set of images, um, something, a vision that I see in my head. And then I just begin the process and all these things start unfolding like bits of folklore and, you know, I'll be reading a book and there, there's a big blah about whatever that deity is, even though that's not what I was looking for. Uh, so that's kind of a fascinating process. And then there's the 
commissioning process, right, which, which we have personally been through, uh, where you're like, okay, this is how I see this mm-hmm. deity. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to tap into how you see them um, and make that kind of connection, like, on your behalf. Uh, which is sort of like connecting the phone line. So it's a a group Skype call, right? (laughs) So because deity is such a personal thing. And, you know, I think when people simplify and say, well, all, you know, Hecate is only this, you know, Pan is only that. And if you depict anything else, you're wrong. Uh, It's like, no, it's, it's so much larger and more vast, just like people are so much more diverse and more vast than what we often, um, you know, other people into. So with that, it's that little bit of that tap connection. So with, uh, you know, like even if I have a personal version of what that deity is, it's still a matter of like, I need to connect to Jason's version of that. Um, or, you know, how this other person or this group or this area connects to that deity, which is really neat and fascinating. So I always, um, what, even if it's like a similar deity, right, that like I could have six people ask for the same deity, but they're like, but could you, you know, but this aspect of, you know, this deity here, it's it's a new journey. It's like I don't come with like, well, hold on, here's all my baggage that I'm taking with me. I like to be able to put that aside and then just be like, here, here I am. How do you want to be? Like you, can, you know, connecting with the deity on that kind of personal one-on-one basis. It always surprises me that the people who talk the loudest about deity having agency and power are the ones who seem to want to limit deity the most. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, this is the only way it can be. And I always have to assume that if it's a deity, it's a goddess or a god maybe the rules as we understand them don't apply to a figure like that because they're not human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever gotten like the smackdown from somebody like, well, that's not my version of Kernodos or something like that. Uh, no, it's kind of funny thing is that most people don't want to bring that to my door. I don't know if they're scared but I, I can't like in the, the the side little galleries like if i see a comment on something that's on somebody else's page you know that i get tagged in um you know especially like with hecate hecate doesn't look like that like mm-hmm. that's maybe, fine yeah maybe if she didn't want to look like this she wouldn't have let me do it yeah <laughs> that's kind of how i always what i always come back to you know like so you're just assuming that they have no power and you are the one who has to fight their battles for them and make their arguments for them. Yeah, it's those people who want to, I want to, uh, I am the gatekeeper, right? That's, that's, that's you know, the, the voice. So-and-so deity told me that this is now true. I'm like, well, it's true for you. Uh, so rarely do I, you know, I don't get upset over that. I find it amusing. Uh, and I also create these things in such a way where I look at these paintings as um, doors, right? They're Mm -hmm. locked doors in some ways. There's a keyhole there. And if you connect with that piece of art, then you are the key. You know, so it's not going to be every person is going to look at the star goddess painting and go, oh, you know, some people are like, nah, that star goddess, but ooh, that Athena, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so it's, 
it's such a personal experience and when people are dictating how deity you know is you just it's like saying like i know everything like you clearly know nothing thank you for making that known so i can just avoid you (laughs) you know it's the same thing we're like you can't work with that deity you don't have that background like you're going to argue (laughs) you want to argue with aloha good yeah good luck (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have fun you just said you know better than they do great um bye <laughs> so you recently moved from the pacific northwest to delaware right <laughs> no. not delaware <laughs> oh Eva would be so happy <laughs> no it's one of those little tiny states <laughs> it's smaller than delaware <laughs> oh there's a state smaller than delaware Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Oh, that's right. See that it's all that, you know, it could just be one state called New England to me. I don't know. (laughs) So uh, what has been kind of the biggest change? And you're from that area anyways. You lived in Rhode Island before. Uh, This is my third time living in Rhode Island. I'm originally from Philadelphia and South Jersey, which is um, south of here. (laughs) (laughs) it's about six hours south um so you know from where you are to la mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of distance and uh so uh change wise uh, you know what i'm really noticing this year is you know so we so we've been here over a year we moved we moved into our house settlement was may 13th um last year and uh this winter, especially with the pandemic, as we go into spring um, and seeing things blossoming on the West Coast, particularly in Pacific Northwest or down in the South and going, oh, things are still dead here. And we are now finally, our growing season has hit its stride and it's beautiful. But somewhere around March, I, I was really ready to be like, we have made a poor choice. I should have bought a house in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's still make that happen i get older and i'm like i would like to be somewhere warm clearly all the jewish blood has come in you must migrate to somewhere warm for half the year well as we get older i think we do get softer you know like tomorrow it's going to be 94 here in the bay area which is really hot for the bay area and i'm like i tell my wife you know we're going to turn the air conditioner on in the bedroom tomorrow and she's like, you know, I grew up without air conditioning, so I don't really care. And I'm like, I did too, mostly, but I am soft now. Not just <laughs> literally, but also figuratively, I've become softer. Aww. Well, I think um, like when we moved out here, it was kind of humid last summer. We already had, we already had the air conditioning going by now. And this year, and this made like, cause Nathan was like, how do you, how do you humid? You know, <laughs> how do you do humidity? Um, this is not a thing up in, in Seattle. It's, uh, it's more of a dry wet. And, uh, uh so here, you know, the humidity was really kind of hard for this, 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 this isn't so bad. I'm like, no, it's, it's not when you get used to it. So um, you can harden back up, but I think this the, the see things growing um, is kind of a hard thing. And maybe I need to invest in a, a greenhouse, a little greenhouse or something to, to do that shift. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the pagan community, the witch community here is a little more close knit 
Um, it's really diverse. Compa- not to say compared to the, you know, like we, when I was doing the Witches Night Out Market in Seattle, when we had 600 people, we thought that was amazing and incredible. And the first Witches Night Out Market I did here had two, almost 2,000 people show up. <laughs> like, holy shit, you know, the, the people come out for things. Um, so that's another, that's a big difference. I mean, we'll see what happens, uh, you know, going forward. Like we had our, our March event that got postponed. It was going to be until May. And then that had to get postponed again. And our venue said, why would you go to the fall? And now I'm looking at like September going, hmm, I don't know. Even that feels iffy right now, doesn't it? Oh, it's so iffy. And especially with the limits on how many people, like we, if we have a hundred vendors, you know, even though the space is 25,000 square feet or whatever it is, you have a hundred vendors, you have all, you know, we had 2000 people show up for the first event. People are going to want to do that again. You know, even if we had a third of those amount of tickets, there's just no way you can keep them bed under 250 people in that space without making a lot of people unhappy. You have a hundred vendors, so you can allow five different like customers to come in at the same time. Yeah, it's like how you just you just can't you can't do it. It's not feasible for the vendors. It's not it doesn't make for happy people at all. So we're we're currently brainstorming of what what is going to happen. I mean, I know folks have been doing some virtual events for markets. The one I did at Beltane that was the Thorn and Moon Market, which is the lovely folks out of uh, Houston. Um, they had that all going on which is great, but that's the thing of like, do I really want to add right now to everything else I'm doing, organizing <laughs> a virtual event? Uh, yeah. Speaking of everything that you're doing, you do a lot of things now on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us about that? Like how is that changed how you do things and how you approach things and where you spend most of your time? So since Um, All of this started, I think, back in March. I started doing, either March or early April, a weekly Zoom experience, which is actually what's going to happen tonight. Uh, And that is just for Patreon supporters for an hour. I'll talk about art, some aspect of witchcraft. We did one on magical resistance the other week. Uh, We did one on plant magic. And it's just kind of, it's great because it's an informal group. Um, and whoever can show up, nothing is recorded too. I, I really like being able to keep people's privacy. Um, and it's like, you have to be there. Like in order to participate, you got, you got to show up. And uh, so that's kind of been the main interactive thing I've been doing outside of my more formal online workshops where people can pay to um, register to get onto those. And the other thing I do with Patreon is that's where all the artwork Uh, happens behind the scenes so you know folks who see a finished painting on facebook or instagram um, the folks on patreon are seeing it start from a sketch and how it's developed in in layers and uh, seeing all that and they also get special discounts and things like that so that that is amazingly i thought it was going to drop off uh, once we hit the pandemic and it has really blossomed i'm really really thankful Uh, Because that has been a huge help um, as we navigate through these difficult times. Yeah, Thora Mooney was telling me that she was surprised by how many people signed up. And she goes, Mm -hmm. Jason, you should totally do this. And I'm like, yeah, it just seems like extra work for me. So I I don't want to bother. But I do think that in a way, especially during the pandemic, 
there's a desperate need for connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that things like Patreon are a great way to connect with the artists and writers that you care about. Because despite what some websites have written over the years, none of us are making a lot of money doing this. <laughs> for It's a lot of work to write a book. It's a lot of mm-hmm. work to come up with an Oracle deck. And it doesn't always pay the bills in a way that you think that other people think it does. Uh, what's the biggest misconception that you think people have about professional pagans? I, I would say it is. I think that people must, you know, I don't, I don't know how to even come to that logic that if you, you know, have written a book uh, and you know, people are like, Oh, someone should write a book on that. It's like, you know, uh, our publishers, like we think of Wiser and Llewellyn as huge. They are really, really small yeah. compared to major publishing houses. And if you manage to get an advance, it is likely not going to pay your mortgage <laughs> or rent payment. Um, you know, you might luck out. Maybe it does a month or two months in there. But, you know, for people who are writing, you know, if they're doing it full time, it's it's going to be, it's a lot, it's a collective thing, right? You have to build up that catalog of stuff. And for people who are just, you know, especially um, more diverse, um, you know, more rare thing, but people, you know, need to be on this tradition, this thing, nobody's written a book on that. It's like, well, the people who are doing that, do they have the time? Do they have the wherewithal to be able to, support themselves right as they dedicate that time to writing a book because it just you know it's like otherwise you're burning the candle at all the ends like front and back whatever because there's you know you're either working a full-time job um you know because you're not going to get the money especially for the first year it takes a year for a book to come out people don't realize that yeah every time i'm done with something people are like so when's that going to be out like in two months i'm like next year like in 12 months it's a long long time uh so you've done a lot of projects now as we get closer to the end of the show what is the project that you are most proud of you have to pick one i know (laughs) i think i know the one that you should be most proud of but i my opinion might be different I'm split. This is such a Gemini thing. Uh, I think I'm going to say Sigil Witchery because it has allowed people to tap into making art as part of their practice, to draw, to find things that are accessible and be more effective magical practitioners. Um, But otherwise I would also say Weave a Liminal because it's the book that I wish I had. When I was a baby witch. <laughs> That's a good, I, see, I w- was thinking it would be Weave the Liminal. That would have been my guess. Because it just seemed like such a personal work. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sigil Witchery, also uh, something that you share in groups, which is always fun to see. Like, this is the sigil for this. Uh, so, you know, it's a way you connect with a lot of different people. That book has also been a very, very strong seller over mm-hmm. the last couple of years. Did that surprise you at all? Yeah, I I didn't know um, coming into it. I you know I it was new that people were really excited from the first workshop that I taught Pantheacon, and then oh this method is great. I'm like okay, well you know here you know you're 
50, 70 people, you know, at Pantheon are excited about this. What, what does that mean in the larger scope? And, you know, I kind of expected a lot more static than I've gotten um, in regards from like the, you know, there's definitely some, but the, you know, this is not how you make sigils. It has to be white dude magic. It has to be chaos magic. It has to be ceremonial. Uh, you know, this, this is not the right way. It's not very practical. Like it, it's actually more practical. <laughs> it's more practical. It's more accessible. Anybody can do it. Any tradition can do it. That makes it practical, accessible, and much kind of older too. Um, Cause it's tapping into thousands of years of making magical art. Uh, so and just kind of, it, it just keeps blowing my mind that the, the workshops keep selling out, that people continue to find and are just, um, excited about it. Uh, I think we're on the fifth printing of that book, and the last edition was like 10,000 copies. That's for, for a pagan book, too, people. That's a, that's a really big number. Really yeah. big number. So it's that's insane. Um in, in the best way so it's kind of like to me it's sort of a sleeper hit right that, that was like i i this is my heart i you know art and magic is such an important thing in my life and i like to share it with other people and hopefully people will use this and then to have people just, just inspired by it uh, continue to share and be excited involved is amazing you know, the only thing about that book, though, is it really needed more illustrations in it. Only 133. <laughs> I'm really sorry. It's kind of a running joke. The book has plenty of illustrations. Plenty. <laughs> Just one of the silly things that, you know, you kind of hear in the background. So uh, if people uh, want to connect with you online, what is the best place to connect with you online? Uh, so I do have a website, lauratempestzakroff.com. There's, you can look me up on Facebook. There's an author page, uh, alchemy.arts, which is O-W-L-K-E-Y-M-E.arts, because I'm a dork. Um, that's on Instagram. So that will get you to pretty much everywhere else uh, that you can find me. You've also got a new t-shirt thing going on right now. Oh, the, the quintessential. Yeah. Uh, so the quintessential that is up on the weareradia.org, um, but that will be up on Friday. I think is the deadline, Juneteenth. Uh, we close that up. So that that is the combined sigil um, where uh, working with little um, little black egg in San Francisco, black owned company, silkscreen company, and uh, we are donating fifteen dollars from every shirt or more to Black Visions Collective in Minnesota. Uh, we the last payment I just did one payment last week which was fifteen fifteen seventy five. Nice. So, um, and I think we're actually at almost twenty two hundred dollars down. So we'll be doing another payment uh, donation on Saturday for those folks. So that's and, very exciting. And they're a great company because they they did the Browitch shirt, which of course mm -hmm. you did the art for. Because I try to have everything I do, I try to have you do the art for. <laughs> <laughs> just. Just so someone else can come up to me and say, hey, I saw your wife at that workshop that she did. <laughs> I told you that, right? You know that story? I think, I think, which, which was that, was that Paganicon? It was Paganicon last year. Somebody's like, yeah, I saw you there and I saw your wife. And I'm like, Ari did help me with the workshop. No, she was leading it. And I'm like, my wife didn't lead any workshops. 
He's like, yeah, your wife, Laura. I'm like, I don't think Nathaniel and I don't think Ari would appreciate that. <laughs> also, I think Tepest has better taste in guys. So, I mean, it's probably not not good. You know, uh, we didn't even touch on the We Are Radius stuff. Hopefully, I can have you back again in October or something. Because as we get closer to the election, it's something to be aware of. Yes. Yeah. I feel good right now. Will I feel good in October? Time will tell. Yeah. More whiskey. Yes, always more whiskey. You've been listening to uh, Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. Hopefully there has been some wit. There has been whiskey on my end. Tempest is certainly a witch. Next week, I'll be joined by my favorite traditional witch, Keldon, as we talk about traditional witchcraft and stangs and other things. It's going to be really great. Thank you all for listening. I'm Jason. My guest was Tempest Looker Up Online. She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. Until next time, thanks, and we'll see you next week.